Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, our unsung heroes, Wolves, Southampton and Brighton, doing special things in the Premier League. We'll also look at the Club World Cup final. Just how big an achievement is it? And who are the legends of your club that really weren't that good? This is The Game. Hello, I'm Hugh Wilsoncroft. Welcome back to the game alongside Tom Clark, James Restall and Alison Rudd after another special weekend of Premier League action. And it felt like a lot of the teams that played were quite disappointed at the end of the weekend in some way. But there were reasons to be cheerful for some of the more unsung teams in the Premier League. It's time we gave them their flowers as it's Valentine's Day. We're going to remind them that we do love them, even though we don't show it sometimes. Wolves, Southampton and Brighton. Hug emoji, kiss emoji, heart emoji. After defeat to Arsenal on Thursday, Wolves bouncing back with an important win against fellow top four hopefuls Spurs. Two up inside 60 minutes and showed the resoluteness to hold on for three points away from home. The question on, on Wolves, though, is how seriously should teams take them? Or do they lack the consistency maybe to, to shock us all and get into the top four? If I combine their last two results, for example... Maybe it's going to be tough for them. James, what do you think? They are incredibly hard to beat. They've only scored 21 goals, fewer than the number of games they've played. They've only conceded 17, which is the second fewest in the league behind Man City. I did a little deep dive into XG this morning because that's how every Monday should start. <laughs> and um, what I really, what I found really striking is that their, their goals scored XG. They're scoring about the number of goals slightly fewer than they should be scoring based on the, the quality of the chances they're creating, which maybe is a concern in terms of... It reminded me a little bit of Burnley a few years ago when they had that season and finished seventh. They um, they scored not very many goals um, and they weren't expected to score very many goals, so you wonder how sustainable is the run. Um, but their goals against... They, they, they should have conceded by the quality of chances that their opponents have been having against them. Um they should have conceded 29 this season. So by the way, they've just been defending so resolutely and particularly how well their goalkeeper, Jose Sarr, has been playing. They've managed to keep 12 goals out that other teams or a team of their level should have been conceding. Jose Sarr himself, the stats say, has 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 been responsible for preventing five of the goals. So I think 
what's brilliant is that they've I think everyone they're they're I think they're they're living off the sort of unexpected slash underdog factor slightly in that I think so many pundits wrote them off at the start of the season after Nuno left and thought they would thought Bruno Lager was was going to be a sort of a you know a, a just another sort of a worse version of of, of Nuno. Um, they lost Rui Patricio, the goalkeeper. Um, but actually, the replacements who've come in for those for the manager and the goalkeeper have been just as good, if not potentially better. So um, whether they could actually get into the top four, it's going to depend on the consistency of the teams around them. And I think I saw a quite a fun tweet from you, Hugh, yesterday about just how inconsistent they've all been. Mm. Um, I think it would be a tall order for them to get in. I wouldn't wouldn't rule them out finishing seventh though and getting into the into the conference league. Um, I think they've I think they've been, you know, they've, they've shown that they are hard enough to beat to be in the conversation. Thing is, that defense is so good. If they were a, a free scoring team, they would be right up there. So what do they need? Do they need Raul Jimenez to refine his goal scoring form like he did at the weekend and that consistency that he had before that really serious fractured skull of course is is that going to be key for them because I thought it was almost time to start looking beyond him but he seems still to be the best centre forward they have it was a brilliant finish wasn't it the way he took it down and I think uh, I was in the office with James and James came out with that great cliche he's still got a lot to do um, <laughs> but he did but he did he had players charging at him and he managed to put it straight in the top corner it was a great finish I think the big thing for me with Wolves is the energy that they show, which comes from the manager on the touchline. There was a moment in that game against Tottenham where the ball was played down the line. Um, it was slightly overhit pass, I think, for Ayat Nori, the wing-back. And yet he still absolutely bombed it down the flank and nearly got the ball. And then they followed his example, the rest of the team, and pressed Tottenham further up the pitch. And that, to me, is one of the brilliant things. And one of the significant upgrades, I think, on Nuno's Wolves is that energy and that pressing. Um, they look to be incredibly fit, but they're not just doing it in a haphazard manner. It's incredibly well-attuned all across the pitch. And you can see Bruno Lager on the side of the pitch. You know, he's kind of doing the what what's becoming a bit common these days with Arteta and all the way up to Pep and things, really conducting the team all over the pitch. And it's really impressive to see. But as you say, it'll probably come down to goals. As, the, as you both have highlighted, they're in a race with lots of other inconsistent teams. And, how, and you would say that Wolves have probably been the most consistent in that we've said at the start of the season their problem was they don't score enough goals. And it's it's still probably the problem. So I think it'll come down to the games against teams further down the table, actually. I think games like yesterday against Tottenham suit them perfectly because they can press a team that's still working out what they are um, and take their chances early on. And I, to me, again, that Wolves defence, Tottenham never really looked like scoring. That's the, that's the thing that they do as well. When you when when they are defending, you just see how well drilled they are. They just fall straight back into a five, and that's so hard to so hard to break down. You you know if you if you if you if you try and if you try and get them in the air and ping crosses in, you've got good solid centre backs to clear the ball away. And if you try and go down the flanks and try and cut in, there's just there's just too many bodies. And and it's it's been really impressive to see, particularly in a season where we've had loads of matches delayed because of covid and lots of players being unavailable that um he's managed to put his imprint on this team really really quickly probably helps that they were playing a kind of a a back three stroke five system anyway and they were kind of used to it but he's kind of he's taken what was there and refined it to such a to such a level that they are so hard to beat 
Um, it, it, that pressing looked really, really good against Tottenham Hotspur and their defence couldn't cope with it. That was quite apparent. And their goalkeeper too. Um, Alisson, three straight defeats for Tottenham. Um, Manchester City away next week as well. I think it's becoming quite clear that Antonio Conte's in the wrong place for me. I actually, I can't see this ending well. Um, what did you make of their performance? Well, first of all, please allow me to say my bit on Wolves. Oh, go ahead. Because I, 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 did, I, did, I, did, I did drive all the way to the black country on a Thursday night and managed to get past two pileups on two separate motorways. So uh, I, just, I just feel I have to mention that. Um, and, I mean, it's interesting because it's so easy to praise Wolves in light of going to Spurs and destroying them, particularly in the first half. But they lost against Arsenal. And I think probably the most instructive thing to come out of it all is that uh, Bruno, I say Bruno Large, you say Lager. I don't know why we do that. It's a male-female thing, maybe. But um, Bruno said he was just really annoyed with what they did against Arsenal. And I spent the whole match thinking they were fantastic. So he's a bit of a perfectionist. I know I know he's probably just crossed they lost, but they were so watchable. And if we're doing an unsung hero episode, Hugh, I would argue Wolves are the most enjoyable to watch of all the unsung heroes. There is um, every, it's not like one or two players shine and the rest are perfunctionary and dogged or whatever. They all shine. They all do something lovely and they're inventive and they're a lovely unit. So, um, and you should have seen the way that Arsenal celebrated getting getting the result because they knew they were not the better team. Spurs, because to answer your question, mm. they don't, well, they're the opposite of all the things we're going to praise about the unsung heroes, I suspect, which is that managers come in and they're given time to establish a philosophy, players buy into it. Uh, you can change the personnel from time to time, but you generally know that it should be fairly seamless and you know what you're going to get. I honestly do feel that Conte's, I see him with a sort of magician's hat on and a big cauldron and he's stirring it and he's trying to find the right formula for this club that he's decided to join. And if if that's how he's seen, it's not going to work, is it? Because the players know it's going to change. He's going to get cross. It's going to change again. Hauling players off before half time. Is always a high risk strategy, which he did with Sessignon. It's as it's as though he he very quickly says to players, "Okay, you prove something to me. You prove something to me. I'm, I've seen something in training. I think you probably can work as hard as I want you to work. Prove it to me." And then they don't prove it straight away, and he gets cross, and I think that leads to a sort of brittleness of um, of confidence. Players are trying to. You're trying too hard to impress a demanding manager. It doesn't always work. It, it, it can lead to the, feeling, the player thinking about himself and not how he fits into the team. And as I've said, if you're not entirely sure what it is you're fitting into, that's not going to work either. Um, I'm very deeply suspicious of any manager who makes Son look unsure as well because any manager should feel blessed to have him in the team and he's not looking himself at all. He's looking perplexed. He shouldn't be. And it's just, it's just, uh, and we don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why it's taking so long. 
probably probably because Spurs are just being Spursy, and unless you're there, you don't realise quite how Spursy they are. It was quite funny yesterday afternoon because um, our reporter who was at Spurs um, rang in after the game to um, to let us know what Conte had said in his press conference, and um, and he said to me that it was oh it's kind of more of the same. It's kind of what he's been what he's kind of been banging on about for the last couple of weeks. And you know, normally when a, a manager sort of has a go at his players and questions their desire and how good they are, it's usually a story. The fact that we didn't think it was a story suggests, well, if we're getting bored of Conte moaning about his players and moaning about how he's not got a good enough squad and moaning about, you know, Tottenham just aren't doing what he wants them to do, then then surely the players must be bored of it. I mean, I know that the players need to take some responsibility in that they're clearly not getting to grips with his ideas. The way they've been defending, particularly in the last couple of games I've I've seen of them, Southampton and um and 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 now Wolves. I mean the you take a still frame of both of the moments of the goals in the Wolves game and you've got like three or four Spurs players diving in. Uh, it, it, there doesn't seem to be any kind of shape or organisation. It just looks like chaos at the back every time the ball comes into the Tottenham box. And I know they're missing Dyer, who's had a good season for them by and large. But I mean, it, it just this is a man, Conte, who's renowned for being able to drill teams. And they just... They just look chaotic and all over the place. But I do question the strategy of the manager just... I mean, we've seen it with Jose before. Uh, I don't think you get a tune out of players by just repeatedly pointing out their shortcomings. I don't think you get that anywhere, in any field in life, by the way. I don't think that's the it's not the right way to manage people. I've got to say, my... A stall, my, 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 a stall, my, my, that was a rubbish answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say Come my on, part... Pick yourself, pick yourself up. Come on. <laughs> I know it's Valentine's Day, but I've got to point out that my partner does get me to do the chores around the house in pretty much that manner. So she does get a reaction <laughs> when she tells me about all my shortcomings regularly. So, you know, shout out to her. Um, <laughs> look, we're meant to be, you know, talking about the unsung heroes. So I'm not going to hammer Hugo Lloris too much or Antonio Conte. But I think they are in that phase of him sending out the message to the club that these players aren't good enough for me. And I don't think he's thinking necessarily about this season and maybe he's thinking more about the summer and the long term in terms of improving that squad. So we'll leave Tottenham there. Um, But Wolves, a very good win for them. We'll see what more's in store. Southampton, they are our next unsung hero. Um, They've gone through a week where they've played Manchester City Spurs and Manchester United and they've come out of it with a very respectable five points. And that's something that the manager, Ralph Hasnittle, told me afterwards was massive for the club and sent the message about the sort of performance he can expect um, from his squad. For me, looking at them, they feel like the byproduct of several seasons, very consistently good coaching, actually. High tempo, great work rate. Everyone seems to know their role. And on their day against pretty much anyone, you're, you're quite impressed when it all comes together, Tom. Absolutely. On, on their day is, I think, a key point because to me, they're the slightly less disciplined, more fun version of Wolves um, in that it can go disastrously wrong and they completely fall apart and you never really get that sense with Wolves. In in that respect, as a neutral and as a journalist, they're my favourite team in the Premier League because you're always going to get something from watching them, um, be it from them or from challenging their, their opponents. In terms of just kind of hinting at that kind of slight frailty 
they are second for points dropped from winning positions with 20, which is behind Newcastle, which kind of hints at that slightly slightly kamikaze, slightly haphazard nature of the way they play, which makes them so fun to watch at times. Because they do, they press really well. Um, they're behind, just behind Liverpool, uh, Manchester City in terms of winning possession in both the attacking third. They're second in terms of winning possession in the midfield. So it is that all-action energy across the pitch which um, makes them so brilliant to watch. And I think similar to what we were discussing with Wolves with the change of players, I think Hassan Hootel deserves a lot of credit for the number of players that have come in and have gone out of the club. And he always manages to seem to find either whether it's a tweaking system or a new way of playing to accommodate these players. And he's, you know, he's brought through some exciting players. Um, and watching that game against Manchester United, El Yanusi, Broha, a lot of it is founded on the the um, the core and the spine of the team, Ward, Prowse, Romeu um, and Armstrong. But there's there's a lot of exciting attacking players that come through at Southampton and wing-backs as well. So, it, 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 it's not as disciplined, it's not as structured as Wolves, which is probably why they're not competing as high up the table because it means that you know they drop points, as I say, and they lose games in a big way sometimes. But they're still very effective and, as you said, they can give anyone a game. I bet they are absolutely horrendous to play against because you just, whenever you watch like snatches of, of Southampton playing, you've got like four players flying at you at any one, any one moment. And that is why they, they ultimately do drop points, Tom. You're absolutely right because... It's kind of it. It is quite unstable, and I do think the the four two 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 system is 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 quite unstable. And you have mm, to be mm, mm. you have to you have to kind of fight. Everything has to be working completely in harmony and perfectly for it to work. Yes, um, and that's and that's why I think Manchester United have struggled with it because it's not something you can just learn overnight. Like when when Hassan Hootel came into Southampton, he didn't play it for that first half of the season to keep them in the Premier League. He he played with what the kind of a, a version of what they've been playing with and then spent the pre-season drilling 422 in 4222 into the into the squad. But they, you know, he he said he said he said himself afterwards uh, they changed system twice during the game against yeah, Man United. Yeah, yeah. I remember a game they played a game against Bournemouth in which he said it was one his favorite a few years ago and it was his favorite game he'd ever managed because both Southampton and Bournemouth changed their shape twice during mm-hmm. the game. Um they are such fun to watch but they've also got a real nastiness about them which is which which I also quite like. They they they're not afraid to rattle people. Um we were looking at some looking at some stats this morning and and since since Hassan Hüttel's been at the club um Romeo uh, Ward Prowse and Hoiberg who was at Southampton and is now at Spurs obviously um in that period are in are all in the top 10 for most tackles in the Premier League um Ward Prowse in particular has completely transformed from a player who was quite a nice neat tidy player mm. who had an excellent delivery from uh, from crosses and set pieces to someone now who is 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 quite frankly an absolute rottweiler in midfield <laughs> and uh, and and but 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 you know he went from beforehand not getting a look in really with the England setup, despite being a regular in the under twenty ones, mm. to now he's a, he, he's kind of a, a a midfield injury away from the Premier, you know, from the from the England squad. He is a kind of he's a tried and trusted um, squad player ready to go in. So, yeah, I mean, just following up on James's point about those midfielders, I was looking um, at stats in relation to Arsenal last week for my Friday newsletter, um, and when I was looking at red cards, Arsenal obviously leading the way, but for the last since t- two thousand and sixteen. Premier League players with the most yellow cards, Oriel Romeu leading the way, never had a red, which is peak, peak <laughs> defensive midfield shithousery, isn't it? To have got that many yellow cards and never had a red. 
I have to praise Ralph Hasnall because I went to this game. Mm. When Manchester United were having quite a few opportunities and getting in behind them, and they, they there was a few warning shots early on, he decided to drop Oriol Romeu into the middle of a back five. And he was marking Cristiano Ronaldo, which is one of the bravest moves ever. Mm. If you've seen... Aurel Romeu sprint, you will know, okay, <laughs> that Ronaldo was about to look like Usain Bolt in his pomp. Um, and he was so scared, he kept looking over at the bench mm. and he and he wanted messages. And when there was a little injury or a stoppage, he ran over and he was talking to Hasnittle and he looked like he had the fear of God in him. Like, are you absolutely sure you want me to mark Ronaldo? <laughs> and it was funny, the ball was literally nowhere near the two of them. And he kept touching it, like he kept touching Ronaldo. You know, when a player is just like, like almost like a set piece, like it was yeah. a corner. He kept wanting to know that he was within arm's reach, maybe because he wanted to just think, like, I'll at least be able to grab him and haul him over if the ball comes in our direction. That, that I think was brave. But I actually think the game showed, Alison, Ralph Hasenhutl's 4 2 2 2. 4 2 2 2. Yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> that was what Manchester United think they can do. But they can't because the level of intensity, desire and work rate shown by Southampton far surpassed Manchester United to the point where I think it's evident that that's the way to beat them. Just outwork Manchester United. You'll have a very good chance of getting at least a draw. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you picked up on Oriol Romeo. I think he's possibly the most underrated midfielder in the Premier League. He's certainly... Um, if you make that, it's a very long list of former Chelsea um, or on loan Chelsea players that are, you know, somewhere else. Um, he's the best of them. And I think he would slot very nicely back into the Chelsea team. That's how good he is. He's underrated, I think, because if you watch Southampton, he doesn't do flash stuff. He just works incredibly hard. And that sums up, I think, the sort of player that Man United do not have. He is prepared to just do what he's told, work, 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 make sure um, those sort of neat short passes to someone who'll play a, a more elegant one. He's just relentless um, without being um, out of control. And I don't think United have anyone who can do the job they're asked to do for the full 90. And I don't know what was going on with Ralph Hasenhutl and why he decided to call out Man United's weaknesses. And the world seems split on whether you should be allowed to do that or not, which is ridiculous. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't being nasty. He was just saying, uh, we we press, we have energy, they don't for the full game. And um that's that's at the heart of it. The thing is, if there's a criticism of Southampton, it's probably because they're a bit one track. So they'll keep going down the wrong path if it's going wrong. So maybe their plan B isn't really there. But um, it's just to me the whole the whole contest was summed up by Romeo because what United don't have have those selfless individuals. It's as though they're all playing as individuals. They're all trying to prove they're worthy of wearing the shirt of Man United and they have to do something individual or eye-catching. And that's not a team sport, is it? It's about doing the boring boring night shift, if you like, that keeps keeps a business ticking over. That's what, that's what Southampton do. And what 
Man United do not do. And also, it's very, very strange that we that that United have allowed this narrative to develop because we knew when Rangnick came in that he had a certain style. Uh, pressing was his thing. We knew he was coming in without a pre-season so that the players would have to learn how to do it. And it's all it's all unfolded so predictably that it's worrying. Yes, they 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 look good for 45 minutes, maybe slightly longer, and then they run out of steam. And it's really easy if you're putting together the highlights package to show all those players who've stopped running back when the 60-minute mark's passed. You you just think, why is if you know this is going to happen, everyone told you it would happen, why are you allowing it to happen? I mean, it's it's faintly ridiculous, I would say. I'm glad you mentioned um, Ralph's comments about other Ralph um, and his team because uh, I couldn't help but think, you know, get a little cheeky dig in at your old boss. Mm. I just thought, yeah. I, I just, I just thought that was brilliant because he was very respectful in the build. In the build-up, he was asked about, he was kind of asked the same question really, and he was, and, and in his press conference, he said something like, "The quality of player in the Premier League is so good that." I can't see any player in the Premier League who couldn't play in this system. And then afterwards just goes, oh, well, no, they, they don't have a reverse gear. It was brilliant. <laughs> um, um, and uh, and I, did, I, I, did, I did think, um, oh, well, well, well played, um, younger Ralph. Maybe he was pitching for the top job. They've worked together before, of course, <laughs> Harsen Hootel and Ranjik. So may, maybe he was hoping that senior Ralph will step aside in the summer and bring in his mate who can finally make the 4-2-2-2 work. Do you think doubling down on 4 2 2 will work with, the, with this Man United squad? I mean, God knows. Maybe just bring Oriol Romeo and James Ward Prowse with him and it might work. Sensational. I, um... I don't know. I don't know, guys. Do you think do you think double Ralph is like double denim? <laughs> I've got to say, I, I, you will not hear this anywhere else because this audio no longer exists. Our producer, John, likes to clip up little bits of audio and of me making mistakes and send them to us afterwards and we'll keep those private as well. But... Um, but my producer at the weekend on TalkSport helped me out with this one because when I went to interview Ralph Hasenhuttle at the end and I had to identify who it was, I said, Hugh Wisencroft speaking to Ralph Rannick. Oh, no. And he went, no. And I said, I hadn't realised, obviously, that I'd, that I'd said that. Oh, no. Having spent the last four hours on the radio, having saying both of their names over and over and over again, I didn't even notice what I'd done. And he said, well, we're both Ralph. So I can understand. Oh, and I dear. was like, I am so sorry. I apologise. And he was like, it's fine. And I was like, thank God they got a half decent result today. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise this could have... Yeah, 9-0 nine, nine wouldn't have been particularly good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. First question. Ralph, I've got to say the coaching of your side was particularly brilliant yeah. today. <laughs> Wonderful job, Ralph. Well done. <laughs> was exactly how that interview started. Um, but yeah, listen, we've spoken about Manchester United so much. It's clear the problems are still there. They don't quite know what they're doing um, with this formation, not just generally speaking, with this formation. And there, there needs to be a big change um, with them, I think, over the next few weeks. But we'll come back, I'm sure, many times to the top four race. Let's talk about our third team in terms of our unsung heroes. This one, I think, underlines how far this team has come. Brighton beating Watford 2-0 away from home was by no stretch of the imagination a surprising result. Um, but to be ninth at this stage, already incredibly comfortable in the Premier League on 33 points, is that massive step that many people felt Graham Potter's side would make, including those of us 
on the game podcast that tipped them to have a great season. I wonder who was that. A- 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 anyway, <laughs> 65% possession this weekend. The question is, how much further can Brighton go this season and in the coming years? Tom Clark. Oh, who cares? Let's just enjoy it for where they are, Hugh. Come on, let's not do the classic, how far can they go just yet? They're only just in the kind of nice period of being middle ta- mid-table and being loved by everyone like us. Um, uh, Graham Potter can go a very long way in football, I would guess, because um, he continually continues to be linked with lots and lots of big jobs. I would imagine, and I would hope he would stay at Brighton and kind of see the project, well, not see the project through because who knows where it will end, but keep going because they're in, they are improving all the time. You know, for all we've praised them, we have highlighted them before for not scoring enough goals. Um, you've picked that out, Hugh, before quite rightly. So it's good to see Mope and players like him getting on the score sheet more regularly. I think what's interesting to me is that they are quite solid, but they're also quite pragmatic in the way that Potter sets them up, in that they tend to, to me anyway, slightly look at their opposition and adapt accordingly, rather than being a team like, say, Southampton and Harsenhutl, who they do adapt, but they ultimately play that kind of kamikaze, slightly frantic way. Potter is far more pragmatic in that he will adapt and change and tweak depending on who he's playing. So, for example, when James and I were looking at these stats, I slightly expect Brighton to be top of the charts for pressing and Mm. counter-attacks and all these kind of things. And they're not. They're kind of mid-table for lots of things. Um, They are second for points gained from losing positions, which, again, suggests a team that are um, highly motivated and, again, able to adapt to opposition because, say, if they're losing, they need to make tweaks off the bench or in terms of tactics, they can do so. But to me, that's the most impressive thing that they've got that again as Alison talked about with individuals versus groups they've got a group of players that are all pushing in one direction but that are adaptable to their manager's um, tactics it's fantastic as well that they have a real good blend of experience in there I mean uh, Danny Welbeck is I, I think he's he's brought loads I know he's not able he hasn't been able to start pretty regularly but he is someone there who is always a goal threat and can pop up with a with a goal at an important time and brings a lot of big game experience to that team. Similarly, Adam Lallana, who played for years and years at Liverpool at the absolute highest levels, won 34 caps for England. I think having those kind of players with the Premier League know-how really helps you develop as a squad and helps bring players on with you. I also think um, Jakob Moda in midfield is is, is is was a brilliant signing. Um he 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 kind of came in halfway through last season and what was fantastic was that they'd signed him in the summer kept him on loan they loaned him back to the club they signed him from in Poland and he basically spent that 6 months learning english and watching brighton relentlessly so when he came in in the january he was able to just slot straight in in um so so that's fantastic the the other, the other thing i was the other thing i wanted to briefly mention as well was um talk about the stats tom where they kind of rank highly I was I was genuinely um I was genuinely surprised to see that their their average possession figure is the fourth highest in the Premier League. Mm. Only City, Liverpool, Chelsea have have had more. Um and, and and one other thing to mention briefly as well, in terms of just to show kind of another 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 um another example of their identity. Uh, I looked yesterday, I saw saw Brighton tweeted this graphic of the Mopé goal uh, yesterday during the game, showing the number of passes in the the build-up and how many players had touched the ball. And I asked um, our friends at Opta kind of to give me a list of the goals this season that have had the most passes in the build-up. I think in the top 10, 
I think half of them or more than half of them were Man City and Liverpool goals mm-hmm. and I think there's one Chelsea goal in there the only the only three teams from could you, could you guess the three teams outside of the kind of well outside of Man Man City Liverpool and Chelsea th- three teams that are that are in that top 10 uh, obviously one of them is is uh, is Brighton Leicester nope most passes let's think about in the this. build up to a goal in the build up so this to is like 20 or more passes yeah yeah who likes to keep it nice and neat and tidy in the Premier Wolves? League? Not Wolves, but it is one of the teams we've talked about. <laughs> Southampton. <laughs> Southampton. Southampton, and the other is Brentford. Oh um, yeah, and, and so so it just it just and Brentford is another. You know, I know Brentford have have, have struggled of late, um, and they are nervously looking over their shoulders. But they're another team that you would you could you earlier in the season we'd have put in this group. I think as a, as as a team that has a really strong identity and is perhaps punching above their weight. Tom. Just coming back to your question, Hugh, that you asked me that I didn't really answer and James has helpfully given me my answer. In terms of where they go now, I think recruitment is the next thing that they need to get better at. James has mentioned some players that they brought in, Welbeck, Lalana, and Jakob Moda, who's now performing quite well. I think they have signed a few duds in the last few seasons that they've mm. been in the Premier League. They've spent big money on players yeah. that haven't it's produced. like the more money they spend, exactly. the less likely they are to be a success. Exactly. So they need to start and obviously it's interesting with Dan Ashworth going to Newcastle, what that will mean for the future of the club in terms of that technical director role and off the pitch and whether Graham Potter will have to have more influence. Graham Potter to Newcastle? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> He'll have money to spend? No, no, not yet. <laughs> but I mean, it is that, isn't it? I think when Brighton start getting to that point of making really astute signings that they can either then become stars for the team and then maybe get sold on for and 40 million more than they signed them for. That That's the next level, I think, that they need to go to. Alison, it's Manchester United against Brighton tomorrow night in the Premier League. Are we going to see the same from both, do you think? Well, where do Man United go? You can't, they can't suddenly be something else. It, that's a no-win situation, isn't it? Because if they ditch the uh, supposed trajectory to become a more energetic pressing team and then decide to stop and what do what uh, I mean what what do they do do they just mm. sit, sit back defend mm. deep hope to catch Brighton on the break I don't think that's going to work I don't so I, I would think Brighton would enter that game um, feeling well I think that that would be my take on Brighton actually is because it's not been a smooth season for them They've had so many draws and many of those were ones they felt. Only three defeats in 18 games though. I mean, it's still Yeah, but the draw, draw, draw thing is a bit, I don't know, it's a bit debilitating, I think, and depressing if you're the part of it. But what I'm impressed by is that they haven't let it get to them. And clearly uh, Potter's, what Potter's very good at is, is picking the positives from various games where they would have felt dejected and almost spun it for them as as success. Whereas I think you could quite easily write a, a dissertation on how Brighton um, are a bad team for drawing so many games. Alison, you're excellent at reading people, as I know all too well from all the times you've told me what mood I'm in without me having to ever, ever say anything to you. In terms of your experience in press conferences, interviews and things like that, in terms of stature and... Um, composure that these managers have which of the three that we're talking about do you think could manage without we wanting to insult these teams higher up in terms of bigger teams <laughs> that could be lined up for a bigger job that's such a good question 
because Ralph has the stature, literally. He's tall. He dresses well. Uh, he has the uh, aura, I think. He's expressive. We've seen him cry when he gets a big result. We've seen him be outspoken. We've seen him uh, dress down Hugh, which is good, always. <laughs> um, uh, I think he's got that thing, you know, that, that charisma that people want from a, a new manager when the fans are a big club. Potter, amazingly, I feel, has not changed one little bit from the moment he um, was the surprise takeover at Brighton. Uh, you know, his CV was not fantastic. It was quirky. It wasn't fantastic. And he's just been so measured, which will probably in some respects count against him in terms of if a big club was in need of a boost, you know, sort of something something to herald from the rooftops. He's not that sort of chap, but it is incredible how he hasn't changed at all. You know, I mean, we've had we've had managers who come in and feel they have to change their their look, their teeth, their <laughs> their hair. Mm. Well, he went <laughs> for make, you know, make physical changes. He went for the beard, didn't he? He went for the beard, and then he went. He he, he became less of a tracksuit manager. He's tried various styles. You've got to say, Fashion Week will not be calling him up anytime soon, and he's reverted back. Which I is don't your, think he cares. Be yourself, Graham. Be yourself. Cares. You know, be yourself. You, you, you're, you, you listen. I think, and I, I listen. We're going to come back to this, I'm sure, because Manchester United will be choosing a new manager. He needs to be on the shortlist for that job. And I know you say they play pretty football, and that's why we like them. Actually, they play incredibly effective football. And that's why we like them. And I know it's all about stats oh, and XG. How can they be? How can you say effective when you look at be, all those ridiculous draws? Because the thing that holds them back is the quality of player, not the quality of football. And so the quality of football with better quality of players, I truly believe would be a far more successful. How do I say this, Alison? They would win many more games and draw much less. Well, if they imported the top three strikers in the universe, of course they would. But that well, isn't. Yeah. Or the or the team, a team that had great strikers, just imported the manager. I think you know. I think it could work. Listen, we could we could like I say, we're going to come back to this because Manchester United will be choosing a new manager, and and when we discuss that shortlist, I will bring this back up again. James Restall had to leave us on the game podcast. By the way, this is a good point to say if you've enjoyed what you've heard so far. Uh, rate us, leave us a review and make sure you're subscribed. Can't promise it'll be as good without James for the rest of the podcast, unfortunately. So do it right now. Chelsea have won their first ever Club World Cup title after an extra time win against the South American champions Palmeiras of Brazil out in Abu Dhabi. A 117th minute penalty by who else? Kai Havertz, the man who also scored the goal that won them the Champions League last season. It now means that Chelsea have won every possible trophy since being taken over by their owner, the Russian billionaire Roman Abramovich. What an achievement. Tom Roddy, you were out there. Thank you for joining us on the game podcast. Tell us about your Abu Dhabi adventure before we get to the game. What's it been like out there? It was the first time I'd ever been out that way, Hugh. And it was probably slightly underwhelming in a way because you think of the the kind of glitz and glamour and the, the the wealth and everything that's out there. And you you saw that in the the area of Abu Dhabi that that we were located in where the Mohammed bin Zayed Stadium is. 
but only really in the in the architecture in the skyscrapers just so many of them it's more you've got Yaz Island which is where you, the the bar where sorry where the um the grand prix is held out there and you've got ferrari worlds and all these opulent hotels and everything out that way but the area in which we were um and the and the tournament was being held wasn't particularly impressive really it was interesting actually turning up at the the stadium where chelsea played both their games um the mohammed bin zayed stadium it, it, it was it was quite a funny, funny looking stadium and it had a women's hospital on one corner and an office block on the other corner. And I think their, their sort of approach to, I'm not entirely sure of this, but the first game that I went to was the semi-final between Chelsea and Al-Hilal, the Saudi Arabian side, and kickoff comes. And you'll, re- you'll remember, Hugh, from last year when you had FIFA arranged for all these DJs in these hype men and women and really it was needed on that Wednesday because the, it got to kick off and it was the stadium was about a third full and curiously by the end it was nearly full it was like outside they just opened up the doors and just said if you want to come in come in because this needs to look like it's important well that's the scene set Tom tell us about the game what did you think of it Chelsea worthy winners probably just about curious week really for Chelsea because they play Plymouth Argyle at the beginning of it in the FA Cup and had a really quite poor performance. They play the Saudi Arabian champions Al-Hilal on Wednesday and were very much below par. Um, I mean, there it, it was almost a pre-season feel to it, to be honest. And then you get to the final and they just about edged it. But the one thing I sort of picked out was was that the way Thomas Tuchel arrives last minute and you're thinking that's going to raise their level and and perhaps it did but the the funny thing was for all Thomas Tuchel's genius since he's arrived at Chelsea he made some curious decisions that night Um, I mean Lukaku was having the best game he'd had for a while and at the, the, the very moment when they actually needed a goal he comes off Callum Hudson-Odoi, who'd been a surprise inclusion, but had probably been one of the best players, he comes off as well for Timo Werner and Sol Niguez, who's we've spoken a lot on the podcast about Timo Werner, and Sol Niguez's career has never really um, got going at all at Chelsea. But I must admit there was probably parts of the, the match report I wrote may have been missing because it was hard not to just watch and admire the Palmeiras fans. They were absolutely brilliant. They created the atmosphere, and on the flight uh, on the flight home, you know, you're, you're back to Heathrow on you know, a seven-hour flight, and travelling with some Palmeiras fans or a lot of Palmeiras fans who then have to carry on and get a connection flight back to back to South America. It it, it was incredible the effort they put in, um, and they were, they were a pretty impressive team to be honest. Very sort of disciplined in defence and counter-attacked really well, just wasted their opportunities, really. Um, I mentioned a little bit earlier on, Chelsea have now won everything they could have possibly won since Roman Abramovich has taken over as their owner. You can judge the size of the achievement based on the the billionaire status of their owner. But Cesar Azpilicueta has won it all with Chelsea. He has been there during that time. He's out of contract in the summer. 
And I think it was pretty special to see him go out by lifting this trophy, if he does. And I think he probably will leave the club at the end of the season. It feels that way, Hugh. You've got three uh, contract situations there. Rudiger, Christensen and Azpilicueta. And I, I think he probably, Azpilicueta probably would have gone anyway. But this sort of nudges him that way. There's nothing left to do. And he's in a he's in a squad where you've got Reese James, who's going to be playing right wing back or right back. Um, and he's just going to be a bit part player. So I think this will be the end of his time at Chelsea. And it, it has been a, an absolutely phenomenal um, 10 years at the club. You know, he's one of those club captains who leads by example. And it, it is the way to bow out, really. He is a certified club legend. In a moment, though, we'll be talking crap club legend. But Tom Roddy, thank you for coming on and speaking to us on the Game Podcast. Really appreciate it after your, your long flight home. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It was a big weekend at the bottom of the table. Everton beating Leeds 3-0. It was a huge improvement after their defeat to Newcastle in midweek. Uh, Donny van der Beek. That's right, isn't it, Tom? Um, he looked bloody good, that guy. He should play for a club like Man United. Perfect tee-up. Thank you, Hugh. It allows me to say thank you very much to our listener, Shirley, who got in touch with me very kindly and very politely on email to firstly say that she loves the podcast and that, Alison, you're her favourite. So, well done. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Um, but also to very politely point out that my pronunciation of Donny van der Beek is incorrect. And it is, of course, Donny van der Beek. And yes, you, he was fantastic, wasn't he? Um, a joy for me to watch him finally play 90 minutes of football. Or was it 90 minutes or did he come off? I can't remember. But certainly start a game in the Premier League. Mm, mm. I've said it before about him. He's never going to be a Bruno Fernandes type player. He's the player who makes the pass before the pass. He's the player who makes the run into space that's a decoy. He's a very effective modern central midfielder. And I think he can, can be good at Everton. I have my suspicions and doubts in 
bigger games, how that kind of Alan, Van der Beek, Ali, all those kind of players, Decore, how they combine in a midfield, I'll be interested to see. Um, but it's an important win for Everton, obviously important for Frank Lampard. I do wonder whether it'll be slightly like this to the end of the season, boom and bust, lose a game as they did against Newcastle and then win a game. But that'll be fine because that'll probably keep them up. Oh yeah, it'll, in fact, that'll probably catapult them up the table. Yeah, yeah um, as Alison pointed out earlier on, wins are far more important than draws at this stage of the season. Yeah. So, you know, lose a couple, win one, here's what it is. Newcastle. So just, just, just a shout out to Shirley. Does that <laughs> oh, mean? Yeah. Oh, come mean? on. Just take the compliment, Does... Alison, for goodness no, I, I'm not, just no, She's going to use it to, to beat name. us with now. Yeah. Go on. No, no just, just to say, does that now mean that between Everton and United, we have a bake-off? <laughs> very good like very it. good well hopefully she's listening and she can follow up Newcastle United then three wins in a row for them four points above the drop zone and importantly they move outside of Burnley's games in hand now even if they won uh, both of their games in hand they still wouldn't catch Newcastle Everton's win as well means that for the bottom three Watford Norwich and Burnley things are looking very ominous um, just seeing there that Kieran Trippier has a fractured fifth metatarsal. He's been brilliant for them since coming in, so that could uh, affect their season somewhat. But actually, in many ways, they look like the team to beat in the bottom half, mm-hmm. don't they? Newcastle now. Um, what do you think, Alison? Are they are they assured of staying up? No, I wouldn't say so. I I felt um, Aston Villa only played football for about twenty minutes. That's the poorest I've seen them under Steven Gerrard. Mm. What Newcastle have got, which they didn't have before, is um, an ability with their crowd behind them to pounce on teams that aren't at it. And they, they're doing that. So, yeah, absolutely, their, their spirit is revived. They've got better players. They're working harder. They've got some belief. I think you can... You can tell from watching them that they they think it's now possible that they will escape relegation. And when Howe first came in, there was that sort of sense of, it doesn't matter what we do, it's not going to work. So these are all positives, but I, don't, I wouldn't really wouldn't conclude too much from the narrow win over a, a particularly poor um, Villa team who only failed to get a point because of the narrowest of um, lines drawn on the pitch. So through VR. So it's, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think they'll, they'll be really happy that people claim it means something because that's all part of it, isn't it? If you think it, it'll happen. But um, I no, it wasn't, um, wasn't an amazing performance by Newcastle. Just that Villa were far worse. Alison's right. Villa were very, very poor. I was really disappointed in them and I was hoping for a really good, contest and in that sense it was but it was a very ugly game mm. but one thing I wanted to come back to Hugh in terms of Kieran Trippier obviously that is a massive blow he's, he's he's scoring goals he's looking like a leader he's captaining the team he's bringing that experience but to me what was most interesting in this game was as, a, as, as much as Dan Byrne was excellent as well another new signing but it was the players that Eddie Howe had already before he made his new signings that look not quite transformed, but just look to be giving a hell of a lot more to the team than they were before. We talked before about Joe Linton and his kind of transformation into a midfielder. 
John Joe Shelby, I thought was brilliant and kind of epitomised that slightly kind of ugly, um, aggressive... A bit harsh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John Joe, that's not what I meant. Ugly in terms of the, the the match itself. He did a lot of the grunt work. There were a lot of moments where he was kind of sprinting, full pelt, tracking back, mm. uh, making tackles and making sensible decisions, which obviously John Joe Shelby is not always known for. And I think players like that, that to me, as much as these new players coming in, um, and any kind of, as Alison says, um, over-reading of these wins. It's those little performances that hint to me that Newcastle might be all right. Up next on the game podcast, we're going to look at the Club World Cup final involving, of course, Chelsea. Stay with us. Well, there are a couple of questions I still need to ask about the Club World Cup. Yes, it's great if you're a Chelsea fan, you get to celebrate, get to call yourself champions of the world. Who wouldn't want to do that? But I just don't think it's a story. In fact, I'm amazed the time sent Tom Roddy out there to cover it. I mean, just watch Channel 4, for God's sake. There, it's only a story if the European team doesn't win the Club World Cup. I mean, listen to the two teams he's just mentioned there. And even though he said Palmeiras were great, Al-Hilal, I think he played. They played in midweek. Come on. Come on. Well, this tournament is all about making money. It is not a massive achievement to be parachuted in at the semi-final stage. If you want to make it a proper tournament, make it a proper tournament. And I know there are plans for that that aren't going to get passed because clubs don't want to see their their best players playing that many extra games. So it isn't going to happen. So I, I just don't think it's that big an achievement. I'm sorry, it's not. Champions of the world, you'll never sing that. All Chelsea fans are singing at you at the game podcast now, right? Right, Hugh. So we've already won it, Mike. <laughs> I think it is an achievement, but not because of the performances that you have to put in. You know, it should almost be called the pain in the ass trophy, shouldn't it? Really, for particularly for the European teams in terms of when it comes in the season. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's a logistical nightmare, and <laughs> and in that respect, it, winning it, going there, winning it is an achievement. It's not not befitting of its st- status in terms of name. So yeah, maybe a rebrand would help. I think. It feels separate to real football. It's like, <laughs> yeah. um, I, it's, it's, oh, I'm trying to think of one of my it's a bit famous like, it's a bit analogies. Like, it's, it's a bit like the Super Bowl last night. Is that what you mean? It's, <laughs> it's got the word, it's got the word football in it, but it's not quite the same. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's like, oh, what's it like? Well, it's a bit like um, a very posh pre-season friendly where you go somewhere very hot and wonder why you did it. But it makes a lot of people seems to make a lot of people happy so that are like important at your club I mean you know Abramovich was there so I mean that in itself makes it worth doing for Chelsea doesn't it you get pictures of the owner doesn't turn up at the bridge anymore holding a bit of silverware so it felt it felt just felt quite nice but it's not it's not important at all you 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 interview any player breaking through into um, elite level football and ask them what their hopes and dreams are this is not one of them yes I think you've summed it up very very well there so the big news that we've covered on the game podcast congratulations Chelsea they've won the club world cup Kai Havertz another special moment for him Chelsea legend it is official winning goal in the European Cup final winning penalty in the club world cup final he will never be forgotten by the Chelsea faithful from this day forth. But I have to say, he hasn't made much of an impact at the club. And it got me thinking, who are the players at your club who have legendary status, but never overall made that much of an impact? Tom Clark, Lincoln City fan, is there one? 
Oh, there's loads of players that never made much impact, <laughs> that's for sure, um, when you support a lower league team. Um, for Lincoln, I'd probably pick Elliot Whitehouse, who was a midfielder for us, who scored the winner in the Checker Trade Trophy at Wembley, to see us lift a trophy at Wembley, which was a joyous, joyous game uh, and a joyous experience. Never really did that much for us. He tapped in at the back post from a bundled bundled cross. So that he's probably the one for, for Lincoln. But I wanted to give a shout-out to Roy Essendo of Wickham Wanderers in 2001, um, the remarkable story I'm sure you've heard it before FA Cup Wickham needed uh, players actually put an advert out for players to come on trial um, I think the advert went out on teletext which I really missed that you know when you were checking the scores <laughs> and the, the screen goes round and oh bollocks have conceded um, they put an advert out on teletext and uh, SNDO was one of the only players who responded turned up for training was given a two week contract um, the game was one all uh, still playing Essendo gets thrown on, heads home a last-minute winner to send Wickham into the thir- uh, into the FA Cup semi-finals. Sorry, excuse me, um, and never played again. I mean, in terms of club legends who don't do very much, you can't get better than that, can you? <laughs> Alison, I'm gonna twist this and say, of course you are. Go I have, I have now decided <laughs> that Fernando Torres did nothing for Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> for Liverpool? What? I thought, sorry, I thought you were going to say for Chelsea. What? Go ahead. Why? Weirdly, I feel even though it was one of the most dramatic and gobsmacking and oh no, no, no transfers when he did go to Chelsea uh, in the January transfer window in 2011, the amount of ringing of shirts and so on that went on from Liverpool fans because they felt he was a proper icon and they couldn't believe it. And he did get booed by a section of Liverpool fans, but some still maintain that he was, you know, he'll forever be ours. We will try not to make the Chelsea thing count. But I think, given how it all unfolded, I think I'd rather believe that he was but a, a mere puff of smoke and he hardly existed. There are so many that have been sent in on, on Twitter to me. I'm just having a look through them here and now. Um, Watford fans saying Dennis Bailey, who scored a hat-trick away at, at Manchester United. Loads of Liverpool fans. Divock Origi, who of course has a legendary status but can barely start a game. Um, Stewart says Roberto Di Matteo, great player but given legendary status for one goal in one opening <laughs> minute. Okay, I love that one. Uh, lots of Chelsea fans saying Fernando Torres, by the way, for what he did uh, for their club. Uh, this one's from Steve. With one heroic moment in an otherwise very ordinary footballing career goalkeeper turned goal scorer and saviour to avoid demotion from the football league in 99 for Carlisle United while on loan Jimmy Glass ends this debate surely the only problem with Jimmy Glass <laughs> is that he's the answer to so many of these questions favourite last minute goal favourite goal by a goalkeeper I think there should be a ban on Jimmy Glass mentions when it comes to these things commentator at Seb Hutchinson says Obafemi Martins for Birmingham City of course mm. helping them win the League Cup more difficult Rigi, more Fernando Torres Diego Forlan he scored two goals against Liverpool you are going to be a club legend but he could barely hit the back of the net Tony Yaboa says Johnny two or three spectacular goals and nothing else Oof, I'm glad to, I'm glad that's a suggestion Hugh and not coming from one of us <laughs> the Luton fans are saying Radomir Antic as well and more Divock Origi and I'm sure you've got your own as well um, that just about ends the game podcast all that's left to, for me to do is to tell you to make sure you're subscribed to the Times and the Sunday Times for more of our award winning journalism check it out you'll get yourself one month free if you sign up today it's thetimes.co.uk forward slash that's the game and we will see you on Thursday.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.